Let's pray. Father, thank you for the church and an opportunity to um, come and fellowship together and meet together and just focus our attention on you and your word. Lord, I just think it's a, it's been a long time since we have gathered for Sunday school, um, and, and I am so thankful that we are able to be back here, be back at this hour. I just pray, as I know, um, seeing, seeing Jeremy already this morning, there's been a lot of uh, details that are added with this first hour, and I just pray that all those things will go smoothly with the teachers, with here, with the transition, just be with Jeremy as he's... Um, covering uh, a, a, a lot of those drop balls this morning. But Father, I just pray for this hour as we get to discuss the church and both the universal church and our church, that you would be with me, that you would be with us as we look at your word and as we discuss these truths. Um, so just be with us now in your name. Amen. So our first topic that we are going to be discussing in this hour is what we're calling foundations. And it is the foundations to our church. The tagline is getting acquainted or reacquainted with our church. I know that there's a couple of new faces in here in the last six months. There's a a lot of um, faces that have been around here for a while. And that's okay. Because one of the things that I have uh, noticed over the last 18 months is that as everything was kind of taken off of my plate as it relates to life with the shutdown, and I really went down to the bare minimum bare bones of life, as I started to add things back on, I started to consider, okay, why am I doing this? Why am I adding this thing to my calendar? I don't know about you, but what I did was I added too much, and then I've already had to start paring back down because I realized, nope, I don't want to go back to that crazy life. Let's adjust some things. But I considered, okay, what is the purpose for why I do things? What's the purpose for each individual thing, and does it fit into the, let's say, the overall purpose of what I'm trying to get out of my life. Well, I think this is a perfect time as a church that even for us who have been around here a while, get reacquainted with the purpose of our church. Just kind of understand the mission and understand what drives us as a church. And so for this foundations class, we are going through the six sessions. There's going to be an elder takes each session. So you're going to get to hear from all of us through this. But we're going to talk about the foundation of our church, what drives us, who we are, what we're focused on. It is going to be moving forward. This is going to be the foundation for our new members class. Uh, I know there's a couple of people in here that aren't members. Um, I, there's been even more people who have said, I want to go through, the, go through the membership process, but this hour, for some reason, or for a lot of different reasons, just doesn't work out with their schedules. But I know there's people listening to this that want to uh, go through the new membership process. Um, but, again, we just thought... For this time, it, it, it would be beneficial for everyone, the whole church, to have an opportunity just to speak through these things. Um, I will say this. Uh, we want this hour, uh, both for the Foundations class and moving forward, to be an hour where it's not a monologue, but it's a dialogue. You get the monologue in the main service. This is, this is not a, a space that we want to speak at you. We want to speak with you. Um, and so even with this first session, even as we're downloading our... DNA to everyone and reminding everyone of our purpose. We still want to have that dialogue and, and that interaction. So um, there are going to be some questions that we're going to throw at you guys um, as we as we are going through this. And I keep scooting back because the front rows are going to be filled up. Here's, here's what I want to do for this morning. Um, I want us, as we're talking about the purpose of the church, I want us not only to talk about the purpose of Community Bible Church, 
but more importantly, talk about the purpose of the universal church. Because if I were to step up here and say we have a, diff- a we have a different purpose than what Scripture gives us, that's a problem. So ultimately, we don't pick the purpose. God picks the purpose. Scripture picks the purpose. So I want to remind us of that purpose and look at the theological and biblical starting point that we get for the church. And the place that I want to go to is the book of Ephesians. So you guys can go to Ephesians. We've got um, quite a few passages or verses that we're going to read out of Ephesians as we're looking at the church. And I think if there's, this is just um, uh, free. If there's one book of the Bible that does the best job of describing the beauty and the purpose of the church, it has to be the book of Ephesians. It's Paul's heart for that particular church, but just describing the unity that exists with the body of Christ was really just turned up to 11 as it relates to this book. Um, and, and so I've, in one sense, I could just sit down and just read the entire book. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to cherry pick some passages. Uh, but the entire thing is really looking at what does life in Christ with, with the community of the saints, what does that look like? Um, but where I want to start is Ephesians 2, 11 through 19. And as I read this, because this is going to be a longer passage, listen for the, the language of unity that comes up. Listen for how Paul is really unite or demonstrates how Christ unites all things together. It says this, 2.11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made up in flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, whereby killing the hostility, he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we have both one access and one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I know that's a longer passage, but just, um, again, look, look back and just follow this, this logical um, flow here. He starts off by saying, okay, remember that at one time you were separated from each other, there were these divisions among you, divisions like circumcision and uncircumcision, Jew and Gentile, we're, we're later going to read from Colossians, slave and free. There were all of these divisions that existed in the world that we would judge each other by. And then Christ came, and Christ abolished all of those divisions because what once was, it didn't matter if you were uncircumcised or circumcised, it doesn't matter if you were a Jew or a Greek, where we now find is that we're in the singular household in this household is based upon our relationship with Christ. And so here the, the accent is on the family of the household, but also, if you notice, especially 
in 13, 14, 15, it's also on the house of the household. One of the things that, that Paul drags out in Ephesians, drags out in this passage, um, and I was, I was even having this conversation with, with Doug Searle when he was here the last time, is that so often we, we think of, in the church, the individual members by, by name. Of like, okay, the, the church is Jeremy and Tyler and Beth and, and Dixie and Courtney. I'm just going to name the back row. That they make up the church. I figured if I skipped anyone, you were going to be. They make up the church. And then they are reconciled to God. But here, this language here is that we are first reconciled to each other. We are reconciled into a connection with each other. And then we, as that body, as that household, are reconciled to God. And so an element of the Christian life that cannot be missed is that, that, that reconciliation with each other and then as being a part of the church as the body, we then have this relationship with God and with Christ that is unlike anything else. So where we once used to judge ourselves based upon ourselves as individuals, now we're judging ourselves based upon this body, this unity, this relationship that we're in with each other. We can follow this up, or he continues, rather, Paul continues, um, uh, Ephesians 3, 7 through 11. It says this, Of this gospel, I was made a minister, according to the gift, and I realize I'm jumping over a lot of things, so I'm going to be assuming that, as, you know, I'm not going to describe what this gospel is, I'm going to assume that, that you know that. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in the God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was in accordance to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's a question that I have, some, some discussion that we can have. When Paul says here, so that through the church, through this body, through this household that, that God is, has reconciled together into himself, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Well, how would you guys describe and define this manifold wisdom? What's, what's Paul really talking about here? He's talking about the salvation of mankind uh, by welcoming all peoples into his chosen nation. This reminds me of uh, the fact that angels long to look into these things because they don't understand grace if they've not ever needed to experience grace. Mm -hmm. So they're like, why are you saving these wicked, sinful people? Mm Mm-hmm. And at that time, the manifold wisdom, it will be made manifest. Mm-hmm. And this is why I did this, to glorify my grace, to glorify the riches of my grace, which is the, the reason that he gave earlier in mm-hmm. the same book, mm-hmm. to the praise of his glorious grace, right? So by, um, by saving all of these wicked people, simply because of what he chose to do. It never makes sense, but it will. So, to that point, 
God can make rocks worship Him. He can make trees cry out. So we could all we could assume then that the church is the best is the best instrument to proclaim His manifold wisdom. Why why is that? Why is the church the best place to proclaim His manifold wisdom? Because it demonstrates His attributes, I think, in His relationships with the church and with us, in a way that you know bending creation to His will does not. Also because through his church he has revealed himself. Say more. Explain. I, I, I agree. Say more. Well, we have no good apart from him. And so because of that, that then he gives us the wisdom and the revelation that he sees fit. And that's how he works through his people. And through his, I mean, his word, through his people. Mm-hmm. That makes say, sense. Yep. I would say in our saving, he has revealed that wisdom to us so that we have it, but others that haven't been saved do not know or don't understand. It also reminds me of the mandate given in Genesis to go out into the entire world, you know, to spread. And why were we spreading? Because we were to not make a name for ourselves, but make a name for God, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously that that mandate was disobeyed, hence Babel. You know, you're going to spread, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and since you are my image bearers, my name will be made great throughout the world. Well, why isn't it, why are, isn't it that once we become a believer, we're not instantly brought up into heaven? It's because now... We, as the restored image bearers, are able to bring that message to others who are still dead in their trespasses and sins. So therefore, we being the the means by which God does this saving work, um, it allows us to be part of this thing, but yet it's still all under God's sovereign control. This may seem like a curveball, but I'll, I'll bring it back around. What happens to a person when they're alienated, when they're isolated? Alone. Which Amy's not binging. She binged <coughs> season eight this weekend. Of alone. Are <laughs> you disconnected? Okay. Absence of the one another's. Mm-hmm. What happens in somebody's soul, spirit, mind? Like, what will, like, Describe the emotions that you would go through if you if you were feeling alienated or alone. You start to go crazy and think everyone's against you. You're going to be a bummer. And everything that Tyler just said. Don't tell me Tyler alone. That's a little extreme. It's pretty interesting because when you're alone and you're in your own thoughts, what happens you you live in your own reality. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, your perspective is, gets warped. Mm-hmm. It's nothing bounces off of it. You're just in your own weirdness, and it just gets weirder because you you have nothing to, no relativity. Mm-hmm. So your thoughts do go unibomber. Yeah, and they do get weird. It, it's 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 fascinating to me. Just every with the documentaries that I've watched or books I've read just describing people when they're placed in isolation for whatever reason whether it's you know incarceration or whether it's torture like to to see the mind 
degrade so quickly. And just, it realizes, even if you don't like the people, we need to live in community with people. I, I love that the description to us prior to Christ and salvation is that we are alienated from God. We're, we're living in this isolated state. We're, and, and we go crazy. I mean, that's what you see with sinners. It's they just, they degrade to this point where you, you could ask, how did this world get to get to be the way that it is? And you could say, well, because they were alienated from God and we were designed to be with God. And when you're alienated, you just let yourself go to where we are today. And I think about with the church, how the, the, the good side of alienation is this individualistic, I can do this on my own. And that doesn't fly in the church. Because the church, the one of the elements is it, it designs to <coughs> reconcile, redeem people back together and saying, okay, you need us, regardless if you like us, regardless if you even agree with everything, but you need us, you need to live in this community. And it's in that state of not being alienated that we are going to be healthy and actually going to be useful. And I just, I think, and it's... It was, it was more popular, I think, in the early 2000s than it is today, but I think it's still there where people, they get to this point where they say, I don't need the church. And like, what I mean by that is the, like the physical gathering of the church. I don't need that. And yet, from a psychological standpoint, you say, no, you kind of need to be around people that you agree with. Mm-hmm. And the Lord uses that body to to demonstrate to to proclaim his name to the world, and just as a um, an example, you know, the eighteen months that we were closed down well, it wasn't eighteen months, but it was, it was so, a yeah. long time. It felt, it felt like forever. I could not wait to get back here. Yeah, to to be around my brothers and sisters in Christ. It was. It actually got to a depressing point. You know, without without this community, without this fellowship, without this constant iron sharpening of iron, I I, just, I couldn't wait to get back. Yeah. I don't remember who did the poll, but I remember reading a study like several years ago, and it was a huge study of like American Christianity, and they there was there was a really really strong correlation between um, unorthodox uh, doctrine. And just not attending church weekly. Because mm-hmm. in your own echo chamber of stupidity, you can believe anything. Absolutely. I like the echo chamber. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I call my brain. <laughs> well, you, you can get caught up in your own thoughts, and then you can convince yourself of almost practically anything you want to when you're alienated and alone. And so if you're not in a group of individuals that help you think through the hard conversations and through all the things, then you can you can end up convincing yourself of whatever you want to convince yourself of. And that's why it's so important to be in a group of individuals that all share a collective idea, faith, and it's grounded, obviously, solid in Scripture, but you can convince yourself otherwise, and it's important to be in a group of people that, that can sharpen iron, like we said, iron sharpens iron. So... So Damien's teaching, um, the class that he's teaching is on primary, secondary, tertiary uh, levels of separation. Come back to this yeah. topic because the echo chamber of stupidity can, can continue if everyone, if everyone has to believe 100% of the same thing and, and they never allow outside. Have you ever considered? Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that maybe we're building each other up. So 
more into YouTube videos and some of that. It creates the illusion of gathering, but it's one way. And it also creates those echo chambers. Which I think it's just like it's an illusion of church, especially when we're doing things live streaming. It's like, I went to church, like, no, not really. I mean, it's like being on a planet and having a lot of tapes or CDs sent to you. It's like there's nothing interactive. There's nobody challenging you that way. It's been, um, I, I, I listened to several uh, pastor leadership podcasts that theologically we don't agree with, but I, I kind of I, I want to hear what the other side is thinking and talking about. And one of the major discussions that that they're talking about now is the 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 um, interaction or, or the yeah the interaction with the digital age and the analog age because there's two generations of people in the church. There's people who grew up in the digital age, and then there's people who I'm going to pick on you, Aaron, who, who didn't, <laughs> who like you know they just they don't think in that way. And really, it's this it, what happened with COVID is that even the individuals who were who stood off from the digital age were forced into it in some respects because everything went to live stream. So if you didn't know what YouTube was before, like my 60-something-year-old mother watches more YouTube than I, I do because she gets all of her news and watches all the live stream stuff on YouTube now. And so it's forced everyone into this space. But now this question is, what's the, what's the appropriate dividing line for what things can be digital and be okay because it's convenient and what can't because it is a benefit I mean it's nice to be able to you know not have it because with just think about how separate we would have all felt if COVID happened in the 90s and live stream wouldn't have been possible now so there was a benefit that we could live stream but then it's what's how how much do we bring it back and where that line is it's just a People are still trying to figure it out, and I don't even know what the right answer is, but it's a fascinating discussion. Pastor James Coates in Canada, that was one of the reasons you know, he was jailed, and his, his reasoning was it's so much more than a sermon or a, a live stream. It's the assembly of the saints, mm-hmm. and that's what he wasn't willing to compromise on because he knew the importance of being in the presence of one another. Mm-hmm. I think that also... If we didn't have that ability of YouTube, we would have found a lot more people disobeying and actually gathering together. It was easier for us to obey the the mandates because of YouTube, because of live streaming. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's a benefit, but there's also negatives. You know, yeah. It's like it's, it's like. What's great about live streaming, you know, if it's just once because you were sick and you weren't able to get there, you're still able to hear the message that you've been listening to, you know, the book that you've been going through, but you miss the gathering together with yourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's definite benefits, but there's so many drawbacks. And if we didn't have that YouTube, I think we would have seen a lot more people go to jail. That's a different can of worms. I, I didn't want to open that can of worms. <laughs> I agree. Don't open that can of worms. Okay, here's what I uh, want to do now. So with the understanding of the, the, the general biblical purpose of the church is to proclaim the manifold witness of God, wisdom of God, which is the gospel. So the church is here to, to proclaim the gospel. And we do that, 
I say in two ways we do that in the fact that somebody's going to look into a body of the church and go, why in the world are all of those different people gathering together? They, they don't have a lot in common or there's, you know, outside of what's, what's that glue that holds them together? That's going to be, well, the fact that we've been reconciled to Christ and we have the gospel and the, and the purpose of the church is to proclaim the gospel. So that is clearly from scripture. I'm not going to belabor that point because what I want to do for the next section um, and, and the remaining 25 minutes is to look at the particular purpose of our why. And if you, if you will, yes, we're, it, it, is, it is the gospel, but kind of what's the language that, that we use to describe why we do church, why we meet, kind of what is the, that tone and tenor that we have here at Community. Um, but before I do that, um, the question that I have for you guys is I, I want you to think about the ministries and the churches that you are familiar with. You can agree with them or disagree with them. And I think if you, if you evaluate a service, you can, you can pick out a lot of, you can kind of see their why. If you listen to the words, if you listen to the songs, if, if you look at the flow of things um, and see kind of why they meet, kind of what that driving force is. I'll give you an example of kind of what I'm, I'm going after, and then I'd love to hear kind of some of your feedback. You don't even have to say the church, because we're not looking to throw ministries under the bus. Just kind of what are the options that you've seen. I think there are some churches that if you were to ask, why do you gather on Sunday mornings? They would say discipleship. We gather to equip the saints. Can you think of other reasons why churches would gather? Why, you know, if you, if you polled the pastor, why do you do church? To reach sinners. Evangelism. Evangelism. Worship. Worship. Preaching. Preaching. Sacraments. Yeah, sacraments. Okay. Uh, because we're commanded to. Just obedience. Obedience. Yeah. <laughs> obedience, dang it. Showing up. To what? To stop the echo chamber in your own head. Okay. I like that. Well, that the instruction of the saints. Mm-hmm. Communion. Did someone say communion? Sacraments be Recalibration. <clears throat> okay. Helping you heal and cope. I like that. Penance. Confession and penance. <laughs> Depending on who you ask. You're weekly vlogging. Because it's fun. It's fun. It's <laughs> a corporate prayer. I think some churches hold um, to some of these more more strongly than others. I think we can walk into some context and we can see that they go, okay, evangelism is their primary focus. They are speaking to the unlost. I know uh, one church here in the area would publicly tell their people, if you get people into the pews, I will save them, or we will save them. We'll preach the gospel. They didn't even say I will save them. They go, we'll preach the gospel to them. And so their idea, their big pull was invite your neighbors to church. And so the idea was then the Sunday morning service was all about evangelism. I've been a part of other churches where the idea, that was completely rejected, and says, no, this is not about evangelism. This is this is purely about discipleship. This is about equipping the saints. You know, Ephesians 4.12 sort of thing, where this, this service is for the body of Christ, and then evangelism happens outside of that. Um, I, you know, there obviously, I think every church has to have an element of fellowship because food, fellowship, and fun are like the are the baseline for all the churches there. Some are accountability, where it is to make sure that you know you have somebody calling you, checking you in your life, 
and these all, all the things that you said were great things, and 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 I, I think taken appropriately, they it's it that is that's definitely a good thing. Um, but what I want to just discuss is is our why, kind of the thing that drives us. Um, and here's the here's the reason why we have even taken the time as elders to figure out that is we live in a culture in the Middle Tennessee that I described it this way in the in the church HFG book. That's finding a church is like going to Baskin Robbins. There's 31 flavors, and you can get exactly what you want. So when people church hunt, they're walking in, and they want to know everything from what what style of worship is there, what is the pastor dressed like, what's the music look like, are there drums or no drums, are there suits or no suits, are people friendly, are they too friendly, or are they not friendly enough, are there pews or are there chairs, is it traditional music or is it contemporary music, is, I, I mean, you, you fill in the blank, all of these things, is it five miles from my house, or is it 20 miles from my house? Do I like where the guy went to seminary? Do I not like the guy where I went to seminary? Do they believe these exact theological points? Or do they... I mean, it is... We can, you can get the, your exact flavor of church that you are used to and that you like. <laughs> and that is, I guess, a good thing. I guess, maybe. I don't know. It's, I, I'm, I'm, I, that's just the state of things. Again, I was talking with Doug when he was here. And Doug was saying... One of the beauties of his church is that if you are an English-speaking Christian on Bonaire, you're going to his church. Mm-hmm. And so he has had to figure out how to hold his nose to things that you and I would never hold our nose to. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, he just, obviously we don't, we don't speak in tongues here. We're not, we are cessationists. Well, he has people at his church who are continuationists. So all of a sudden they start speaking like continuationists and Doug has to go as a pastor and be like, okay. I'm not going to kick you out of my church, though. I, we wouldn't kick a, a, a continuationist out of our church, but we definitely go, that's not who we are. So we are forced, in some ways, to define ourselves. Okay, what's going to be our uh, flavor of things, For if I can continue with that Baskin-Robbins illustration? And here's our flavor. Here's our flavor. We are broken people who need the truth of the gospel. When you walk in the doors, the reason that we do church. The, what drives me as a pastor, what drives us as elders, is that we are broken people who need the truth of the gospel. Now, there's a, some underlying assumptions that I just want to outline for us so that you know, so everyone can understand that statement. The first assumption is this. We're all broken. The idea isn't the people walking in the front door are broken, but the people walking in the side door to lead the ministries aren't broken. We, you know, Pastors all have it together. No, the assumption is... Everyone is broken. Everyone is in need of the gospel. Everyone can fail. Everyone can fall. Everyone is weak. Everyone is in need. The other assumption that we have is that no one reaches a point where they can no longer fail and fall. Pastor or congregant member. I know there's this... I, I, I experienced this with some of the crowds that I um, was in as a, uh, as a teenager where perfection was almost attainable. I mean, no one could actually be perfect. That wasn't in, in like a, a Nazarene context where you can actually achieve, like they'd say, I've stopped sinning. But perfection was almost attainable. Like you could get to a point where certain sins could no longer, you could no longer fall to because they no longer had a hold on you. So you didn't have to worry about those things anymore. And there's this idea of you would, they'd point to people and be like, well, if you can just get to them, your life is safe and you are secure. 
And it's this idea that the longer you're in the body of Christ, the longer that you're in Christ, the more books you read, the more books you've studied, the more sermons you've preached, the more people you've evangelized, the, the more that you've been in it, you can reach this point when you no longer will fail. Well, here's what I've seen, even as a young man, I have, unfortunately have witnessed that way in way too many ways that come just crashing down upon people. We're 50, 60, 70 year olds who have been in the church a long time who you would think they would never. Well, they do. And the reason that we assume that everyone is broken is because everyone is a sinner. We hold to things like sinner and saint that, that Martin Luther um, demonstrated where we're simultaneously sinner and saint. Yes, we are declared righteous in Christ. We are a saint before him. We have complete access towards the Father. We are reconciled and adopted uh, in, to God. And at the same time, I'm in this body of flesh. And I am a sinner. And until this body goes away and I have a glorified body, this body wants to break God's law. This body has sinful um, pulls. This body will lie to me and say, do this thing because it feels good instead of doing that thing because that's what's honoring to God. So until I get rid of this body, I am always going to be broken. And so the assumption is if you walk in with this body, which we all do, we are going to assume that you are broken and in need of the truth of the gospel. Now, here's how this fits into the paradigm of what's the church known for. There's one church that could be known for evangelism, and therefore the idea of their service is going to be a gospel evangelistic service every single week because it's focused towards those people who are not saved, who need to be saved, and so we're going to give them the gospel. Or you could have that service that is focused towards discipleship, and so the idea is, well, you are saved, and so now we need you to know how to live in the truth of the gospel and, and how to follow the steps that the Bible give us. What this idea of broken people in need of the truth of the gospel says is that regardless if you are a saint or a sinner, you need the gospel every week. And in some respects, regardless of saint or sinner, you need to understand how God created you to live. And so we're going to describe, hey, your body's going to lie to you and say, do this thing, but actually your body and your, your life was created by God to live in this way, so why don't you live as the creature that God intended you to live? And so regardless of how long you've been in the church, regardless of what you've done for Christ, we are going to assume each and every week that you need the gospel proclaimed to you. And this is really what we get at with our tagline. Who, who, just, who knows what our tagline is or the, or the purpose statement? I don't know what the thing is called, the four words. Ordinary people extraordinary. Is it a tagline? I just feel real bad to have a tagline for, for a church. That's like the worst line. <laughs> Mission statement, I guess. Yeah, ordinary people, extraordinary grace. The ordinary people part is we're all broken. Like, no one is... No, If somebody walks in and goes, I'm not broken, my assumption in my head is going to be, you're not going to work here. Because <laughs> the moment that you demonstrate your brokenness, we're going to assume your brokenness. Now, the other part of this with the ordinary people is that ordinary people make mistakes. Ordinary people have failures. Ordinary people have bad hair days and bad breath. And ordinary people rub us the wrong way. And ordinary people are ordinary. And we're going to assume that about you, and, we're, and I hope that you would assume that about us. And so one of the things is we expect, as elders, we expect you as congregant members to make mistakes. We expect it. And we're not going to hold that against you. 
we're going to call sin sin, and so we're going to say, hey, don't do that. There's a better way. We expect you to make mistakes. And what I've already seen is some people can't comprehend that. They, they, it just doesn't compute in their mind that, like, I can make mistakes. But we assume that you can. And this is a safe place to make mistakes. And yeah, we'll call you on them, but we will love you and understand that, yeah, people need grace. The one, other one thing. One slight addition yeah. to that. Okay. We all make mistakes. You, you gotta let me answer the. <laughs> the other part of this statement <laughs> is that we make mistakes and we expect, ask you to be gracious with us. We, by, by we, leadership, and me, pastor, this pastor, we make mistakes. We ask you to be gracious with us. Because I'm willing to stand up in any context and go, well, shouldn't have done that because I'm a broken person you know I'm a fallible person I'm a person I'm an ordinary person and it's nothing's above me to go I shouldn't have done that I shouldn't have said that either that was a theological slip you know those are the worst ones when you gotta stand up on a Sunday morning which I've done already said it by the way (laughs) that was wrong but even in life we as leaders as as men will make mistakes so we ask you to be understanding of us and allow us to say, yeah, that was wrong and we're learning from that. And we're going to expect the same thing from you. To have those moments in life and they go, man, I messed up. Can you please forgive me and help me through this? So that is that collective. We are all ordinary people looking to the extraordinary grace of God that he took people who were dead in their trespasses and sins, alienated from him, the commonwealth of Israel, and brought us all into his church, and so the extraordinary grace is this is an ordinary body of people, an ordinary group of people that are all worshiping our Lord and Savior and are here not because we have any other connection with each other other than we're in the household of God. The last piece that I just want to touch on is um, that goes along with this is, is the economy of the church. And I know this is probably not new to, we've, we've had this language around here for a while. The economy of the church. And turn to Colossians 3. I think um, Paul does a great job of describing the economy of the church in that. 3.11 through 17. I guess I have time for this. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving to your heart to God and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's another description of the church because where Paul starts this is, or where I'm picking up in this in this uh, flow of, of thought is, okay, there is not Jew and Greek and circumcised and uncircumcised, then bar- barbarian and Scythian, and slave and free. What, what Paul is saying, there's not these distinctions that the world places upon us. 
the world judges us, the economy of the world, the world judges us based upon power and class. Maybe power, class, and money. But power, class, and money. And they put people in these buckets. And they, and they, they judge people based upon their worth and, their, and, the, and the weight of their voice based upon those distinctions, power, class, and money. And I hate it because it's the dumbest thing on earth. It's driven by sin. But this is how the world judges us. And we can so often bring that type of economy into the church where we start assuming that based upon what the car that somebody drives is the position that they're going to have in church. Based upon the education that somebody has is going to be how, you know, how quickly they're going to be able to teach. Based upon the amount of money that they give to the church is the weight of the voice that, that they're going to have. And that is an abomination as it relates to the church. Because what Paul here just described is that it doesn't matter what external um, feature you have. It doesn't matter the power, class, and money that you have. When you walk into the doors of the church, we are all one in Christ. And that can be shocking for some. That can be shocking for maybe some in this room. It can even be shocking as new members and visitors come into our context because they're going to assume that maybe... You know, just by chance, they're a famous individual. They could walk in the doors and be like, oh, well, they're going to treat me differently because I'm famous. Well, the economy of the church says, we're great that you have that platform outside the church. But in here, that platform doesn't matter. You're an ordinary, broken person. You could be a social media influencer on the outside of the church that makes your life seem perfect. And you're going to come into these doors. And the thing that we're going to assume about you is that you are ordinary, which means you're broken. And you need the same thing that the millionaire needs as the person who can't pay their electric bill needs. That is Christ. And I love the the description that he gives. Okay, as God's chosen one, look at then how we are to treat everyone, regardless of the money, power, class you have outside in the world. Everyone. Have compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against each other, I don't know, I lost my. Uh, forgive everyone. I mean, consider how the wrongs are treated in the world's economy. Who can get ahead of it the fastest? Who is who has the most to lose? Who can just ruin a person? You know, I think of if. if if you can't beat a person with, with logic, just ruin their life. That's kind of the way that the world works. So here, it's no. If you have a complaint against another, go to them and forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, and above all, put on love, which binds everyone in perfect harmony. So the economy that, that the church has, and this is, while we want it here at Community Bible Church, it exists in every, it should exist in every church. This economy that we have, that regardless of what you are out there, when you come in here, we come in assuming that we are all on the same page, myself included. Like when I step up to preach on Sunday morning, I'm not there saying, well, if these people would just listen to my words, their life would go better. No, I'm stepping up there going, wow, I get to be a herald to the glory and the message of God to fellow sinners like myself who need the truth of the gospel just like I need it. So the economy that we have is when somebody comes in, we want to go out of our way to show them the love of Christ. But on a practical side, we also want to go out of our way to demonstrate to them that regardless of what they do out there, 
we almost don't care about. We only care about who they are in him. And it's really, it's a respite from the world. Because that economy chews people up, spits them out, and just ruins their life. The economy here should be, I hope somebody could have a, whether we do, have a terrible week out there. Just made a mess of things and come in and go, Christ is my gracious Savior. And these are the people in my life that will love me and show me compassion and will stand by me regardless of what happens. Now, the caveat to that is, you know, because I'll add the footnote, if you're sinning, we're going to call you on it. If you're acting as God, if, if you were acting in a way contrary to how God created you to live, we're going to go, hey, dude, that's not the best way to do things. If you're acting a fool, we're going to love, we're going to love you enough to say, you should stop. But when you come in, the expectation is on our part is that, yeah, we, we know that the world is a difficult place. We want to be this respite where you can come in and rest in Him. So that's what drives us as a church. Ordinary people, extraordinary grace, understanding that everyone who comes in these doors is broken and in need of the gospel. And, and, and maybe this is I'm, the first time you've heard me kind of describe it this bluntly of, of what we do. Maybe you've picked up on it, but I'm sure that you'll begin to realize like how I start the services on Sunday morning, how I pray on Sunday morning really is for that, that it's, it's, it's driven towards this. I mean, the amount of, 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 uh, I don't want to say sin, how sin affects us in this world, the amount of stress and pain and disappointment that our body carries into that room on Sunday mornings is immense and it's never going away. I assume if you put this, this many people in a room, one of you just had a terrible week and is dealing with something in your mind that maybe none of us know about, but you're dealing with it and you are struggling with it. And what you need to hear is the fact that you don't have to have it together because Christ had it together. And so I know that when this is doubled in size and we're in that room, there's even more so. So the, this understanding of we're never going to get away from our brokenness because we're in our, in our communication there because we're never going to get away from the brokenness in our life regardless of how long you're in Christ. So you gave us a spectrum of the, the differences in churches, right? So yeah. We came from evangelistic and discipleship, and, and somewhere in the middle we, we lay. Can you explain to us what the difference is between being evangelistic and saying that everyone needs the gospel? What do you mean by the gospel? And link that with how do you preach every week? Because you don't just give the gospel. You give the whole counsel of God because we're going through books. There's, there's a little bit of a difference there. Yeah. So um, if I could pick on the evangelistic type service, evangelistic service, there are two parties and there are two parties present in their mind. There's the one who's already received the gospel. And so they need to be sitting there praying for their neighbor who hasn't received the gospel. And so that person listens to that and says, I really hope that John hears this and repents and believes. And so their mind is, John needs to hear this service. And he does. 
And he does. I'm oh, sorry. I, I was trying to think. In my head, real fast, I was like... I was late, so I go on the joke with No, I, I really was trying to sit there and go, what name can I use that's not in this room? Ebenezer. Ebenezer needs to hear. John doesn't need to hear. So there's, so there's two groups. of If they just hear it. When we preach the gospel and understand that we're all broken, it's that regardless of if you're believing or not, you need to be reminded that the works of your hands will fail you, i.e. you'll be broken. And Christ's works was sufficient. And so you can rest to him. Because the world, six days a week the world tells you you're going to be judged by the works of your own hands. And if one day we can come in and recalibrate ourselves to remember that we're going to get to heaven one day and God is going to go, well, what, have, what good have you done for me? And the only answer is nothing. Christ has done it all. And so it's recalibrating that. Now, from a preaching standpoint, there are some, I don't know if I'm stepping on people's toes here when I say because this is, I, I don't know who was going to get into, get into this. When we approach the Bible, the Bible, the purpose of this Bible is to tell broken sinners about redemption. Now, it's so... The, the, the details of how that all went down are so broad and so, um, so nuanced that it took 2,000 years and 66 books for us to actually get all that. Like, I'm in service, we're going to be preaching from one verse. I can't believe I'm only doing one verse. I want to do four, and we're only going to get through one. And it's like, and it's, it's the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. To understand that, it took all of the Exodus for us to get that, and for us to understand what Jesus was doing. It took all of the Old Testament and the, all of those shadows, so that when Jesus came in, we could get who, what this guy did. And then all of all of Paul's and the, all of the epistles are there for us to put all of that together. Because really what the epistles are doing is they're saying, well, here, here's what the Old Testament said about Jesus, here's Jesus, and here's how Jesus and the Old Testament fit together. I mean, so in a broad, in a broad sense, that's what you could, how you could break down the Bible. So when, I, when we preach the Word, we're preaching it from a standpoint of redemption. So it is driven towards, here's the gospel declared to you. This, it's all about redemption, including the New Testament books of here's, here's what redemption does to your life. Here's what Jesus does to your life. Here's how you are changed because now you have Christ in your life and you, and you see him. And so all of our preaching is, is gospel focus, is redemption focus, and regardless of his Old Testament or, or, or New Testament. So there's no point in my mind when I'm preaching scripture and I'm preaching it in a sense of okay, this part is just to make you a better person, and that and, and there's uh, no man. That was a big question. This is like big question. The other way you can view scripture. So if I view it, if we view it as redemption, the purpose of the Bible is redemption. There's some folks who view scripture as the the purpose of the Bible is to make you a better person, is to save you and then make you a better person. So you're going to pick up your Bible and you're going to read it today. How can I become a better person? By applying these verses. That then makes scripture a book of laws and rules. Inappropriately. Because it's this distinction of, well, I just got to apply these things. And if I apply these things, then I'll be a better person. They also think that Jesus came to earth. They 
the assumption then is Jesus came to make you a better person. So I'm saved so that God, God's desire for me was for me to be a better Ryan. Well, I can never be the best Ryan I could possibly be because I'm a sinner. Jesus didn't come to make me a better person. The Bible wasn't given to make me a better person. The Bible was given to declare to me how I can be saved. Now, the Holy Spirit inside of me, that, that sanctifies me. And yes, there's definitely scriptures like Ephesians and Colossians. Okay, I should love one another and I should forgive each other and I should live in harmony with each other. So if I'm, if I'm not doing those things, obviously, because scripture says, yeah, okay, I should do those things. But that's driven because Christ forgave me. So it's all, all the preaching, even in our exposition, Old and New Testament, is, is focused, it ends on Christ because why am I going to live this way? Well, because Christ forgave me. If you notice all of the lists of things of what we should and should not do, at the end of each at the end of each and every one of those lists, and I haven't, I'm going to say this dogmatically, I haven't checked all of them, so if you find the one, you, there's probably holes in this somewhere. But the end of most of them is always because Christ did blank. So all of the lists, all of the stuff of we should be better, it always ends in because Christ did this for you. So it all comes back to redemption. Did that? Did I answer that? That was a rough question. Okay. Any other questions that you guys have or comments? Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> Either it was so unclear that everyone's like, "What in the world did that guy just say?" Or it's sufficient. So uh, next week we're going to meet in that classroom because hey, there's a lot. There's a lot of us, and there were some mix-ups. Um, so here's what we are going to do. I'm going to pray for us, and then um, we have 30-minute fellowship time. If you have older kids that are in the uh, that are kindergarten through fourth grade, we ask that you go pick them up from your classroom because they're going to be with you in the service and be dismissed like we have been over the past several uh, months. We're going to keep that flow going so you can pick them up. If you have nursery kids, they can stay in the nursery, and if you are serving in nursery. Just be gracious to the first hour folks and um, relieve them sooner than later. So I'll pray and then we can be dismissed. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you that we get to be a, a community of saints that has one thing, if only one thing, but one thing in common, and that is that we are saved by grace. Thank you that we can come to this building, that we can come to this body, this community, every single week and we can be reminded that while we are broken and weak and frail and make mistakes and still struggling with sin we are good before you not because our hands have failed us because they do but because the works of Christ and Christ's hands were perfect and were sufficient Father I pray um, just for the rest of our morning as we go into main worship as we um, as we sing and we hear the preaching of the word that our hearts would be encouraged by the truth of the gospel in your name.